0: Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray.
1: Well, hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country or around the world, actually. But this is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel. Just always fun to be with you, excited to be with you, to share various ideas and thoughts. Uh, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I prove that with regularity. But there's really no holds barred. We should be able to discuss anything on all rise. The idea being if we employ libertarian values, open, honest discussion, responsibility of all things in today's world, You know, freedom and liberty Liberty, uh, we will all rise together, which is exactly what uh, we mean and exactly what would happen. I, I truly believe that this victimization stuff going on around our country today is a trap. You know, oh, poor me, oh, it's your fault, oh, help me, give me this. If it worked, I'd be in favor of it, I suppose, but it does not work. What works is responsibility and everybody having equal opportunities and the rest. So I'm proud to say that we have someone with us as a guest today. His name is Jeremy Cohen, otherwise known as Spike Cohen, and he has been nominated to be the vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, along with uh, our presidential candidate, Dr. Joe Jorgensen. Uh, We actually interviewed Joe Jorgensen on All Rise. It was broadcast on the 1st of May, which was Uh, of this year, right before the convention, which was virtual over the uh, Memorial Day weekend. And so we were the first virtual uh, campaign convention in history, as far as I know. And then she was just recently, again, after she was nominated, we had her back as a guest last October 21st. And now we have Jeremy Spike Cohen, an articulate young man who is actually, as I understand it, because we're taping this show. Uh, This is August 22nd that we're taping it. He's on a bus caravan tour through Des Moines, Iowa, uh, and uh, the rest, we'll get, we'll get the lowdown, but but Spike, welcome, congratulations, you're a standard bearer, and a welcome to All Rise.
2: Uh, thank you, Ju- uh, Judge Gray, I'm, I'm honored to be on the show speaking with my uh, one of my contemporaries, someone that uh, I, I get to do what you did eight years ago, as it were.
1: True enough, uh, it was exciting, it was also frustrating, it was one of the most <laughs> exciting and similarly frustrating experiences of my life, because I thought, then, and I I still think, Spike, that we were the most qualified people running in 2012. I think Dr. Joe and you are the most qualified people running for our country, unification as well, but uh, get ready. It's it's going to be difficult to get the traction that we need, but uh, the ball's in your hands, and we know it's in capable hands, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Tell us about your background, and also throw in there, this is called a compound question in court, but throw in also <laughs> when and why you became a Libertarian. Who is Jeremy Cohen?
2: Absolutely. So, uh, folks, thanks for tuning in. Uh, my name is Spike Cohen. I'm uh, running with Joe Jorgensen uh, for president, vice president uh, on the Libertarian ticket. Uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, I am. I was recently described as a serial entrepreneur. i never actually used that term, but I like it so much I'm using it now. Uh, I actually started a, a web design company back in my teens in in 1999. And I I grew that into a a fairly successful company uh, over the course of nearly 20 years. Uh, And three years ago, I uh, decided to retire from web design so I could focus my life full time on spreading the message of liberty, talking with everyday Americans across the country uh, about the issues they faced and and presenting libertarianism as a a way to be able to solve the problems and to, to ameliorate the problems that they're uh, that they're facing, and to that end, I became the host of My Fellow Americans and the co-host of the Muddied Waters of Freedom, and the co-owner of Muddy Waters Media. Uh, and after speaking for a few years with uh, Americans from all walks of life, all across the uh, all across the country, and even in other countries as well. Um, when I spoke to them, I kept hearing the same things over and over again. They were frustrated with how things were going. They, were, uh, they realized that they had no real viable option for getting, making things better with Republicans and Democrats. They increasingly recognized that it was the Republicans and Democrats working together to make our lives harder and harder uh, and to make it more and more difficult for us to, to thrive and to prosper, and that there needed to be a viable option. And when they heard libertarianism as that option, uh, they had these aha moments, these light bulb moments of realizing that this intuitively made common sense. And I realized that I wanted to be able to apply that on as wide of a stage as possible to spread the message of liberty, to share a me- message of applying the ideas of self-ownership and non-aggression and bodily autonomy uh, to the greater body politics so we, that we could change the cultural conversation in this country and uh, and actually start seeing the electoral wins that come from having the cultural Wins of of changing the conversation. And so to that end, I decided to run for the nomination for vice president with the the Libertarian Party. And on the strength of my demonstrating to the delegates my ability to reach out to disaffected voters, people who have never heard our ideas before, and bring them into the fold as Libertarians, they decided to pair me with uh, Joe Jorgensen in that effort. And I believe that the delegates made a fantastic choice.
1: Well, indeed so. I, I subscribe to that as well. Uh, we all know, Spike, that you worked really hard for securing the nomination for vice president. But once you secured it, just what went through your mind? I, I remember what went through my mind, but, but uh, when I did it in 2012, what were your thoughts when they finally said, you are our nominee for vice president of the United States of America?
2: It's interesting because I'm talking with someone who went through this exact same thing. Uh, uh, and so when I when I was sitting there because this was in on Zoom, right? Like it was an online convention. So I'm sitting there in, in our guest room where I do, where I do my shows and, uh, with my AV set up and, and I'm, I'm, you know, hearing, uh, chairman Nick Sarwark announce that I'm the, the winner of the, the nomination. And, uh, my, it, my very, very first thought is, okay, hopefully they'll let me sleep tonight. Cause I literally hadn't yeah. slept in like two days. Yeah. My immediate thought after that is, my my summer and fall and 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 even going into winter are going to be solely dedicated to what I just signed up for uh and was excited to do, which was to spread this message of liberty um but no that initial thought was i i I need to get some rest because it might be the the uh-huh. last time I have a really restful sleep in a in a long time uh-huh. um so i but it's been great it has been uh you know we have been uh, doing fantastic stuff out here. Um, like you would mention, I, I am on a bus tour. I know I know when this is uh, when this is released that will have already ended, but I will have gone from Cincinnati and snaked my way on the bus tour all the way through most of the Midwestern, Southwest, and uh, and Pacific West states, uh, ending in Seattle on Labor Day. And uh, hopefully this will you know this will be a a, a uh, you know when people are listening to this uh, after the fact, they'll be talking about how fantastic the bus tour was and the tens of thousands of people that showed up to, to to see what we had to say. But so far it's been going very, very well. And uh, we've had a lot of people come out that just wanted to hear what what our message was. And we had people signing up for the party uh, who hadn't heard of libertarianism before. There's been a lot of excitement. And I've spoken to a lot of people who have said that, you know, they've been in the party for many years and this is the most excitement that that they've ever seen. And I don't think that I or even Joe can take credit for that. I think it's because the American people are increasingly frustrated with the state of things in this country. And they realize that the Republicrats are not going to ever solve the problems because they're the ones who created the problems and continue to make them worse. And Joe and I are are presenting a a viable option to to change that. Well, Spike,
1: I fear that our country is heading for an economic disaster. And only libertarians are talking about it. All of these deficits yep. that are just escalating, compounding. Oh, the answer, according to the Republicans and the Democrats, just print more money and give people more money. By the way, buy their votes with our money, too, which is a different issue. But but, what difference does it make? You, you say, and you've used the word libertarian and freedom and the rest, But but get down in the weeds here. If, mm-hmm. in fact, or when... Joe Jorgensen is elected president of the United States as a libertarian, and you are elected vice president.
2: What difference will it make? What what will we end up doing that's different? Well, here's what we will not end up doing anymore, and that's continuing to spend money that we don't have, continuing to print out endless Federal Reserve notes that we, uh, that we then lend back to the, the federal government in the form of buying these treasury bonds and saddling Americans with ever-increasing trillions of dollars in debt that they— and their children, and their children will have to pay off with interest over the next, you know, 40 years with each new debt that's that's accrued. We're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to run up a bunch of debt and then hand it off to the favored billionaire cronies who bought and paid for us to be in office. We're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to continue to kick the can on the road on uh, down the road on things like the equity bubble, the student loan bubble, the uh, the, the the massive increases in the cost of health care and higher education and housing and really everything at this point. That's what we're not going to continue to do. We're not going to continue to spend money we don't have to try to push things just outside of our term of when we have to, you know, worry about getting reelected and leave it for someone else to solve, some other politician to solve, some other generation to solve. Uh, we're not going to allow continue to allow uh, the uh, the entitlement bubbles to continue growing without. Uh, resolving and addressing the core problems with social security and medicare and protecting the people who are currently on those things while allowing for people to opt out of it so that we can move away from these bad pyramid schemes that were created and, and move towards a more sustainable system uh, getting government out of the cost uh, out of uh getting government out of health care uh so that the cost can go down there was a recent study that showed that 75 as much as 75 percent of the cost of health care was nothing but just the cost of compliance with all of the various red tape and bureaucracy and, uh, ta- and taxes and mandates that are in Medicare, Medicaid, and government-mandated insurance. And to be clear, that's not the cost of providing those services. That's the cost of hiring all of the administrators and doing all of the red tape work to prove that you're complying with all of these different regulations. When you go into a hospital and there's one doctor and two or three nurses and like 15 administrators, that's why healthcare is, that's a, a big part of why health is so expensive. We get government out of it and that stops happening. There are so many things that we're going to do. End the wars and bring the troops home uh, and allow the healing to begin there. Uh, end the war on drugs and, and free the people that are in those prisons and have those felony records from their victimization by this terrible war on drugs where the, that the government tried to tell people what they could or could not put in their bodies, and in doing so turned addiction into a criminal problem instead of a health problem. There are just a myriad of things that we're going to do, but the bottom line is what we're not going to do is to continue to kick the can down the road and let the problem get worse and worse and worse under our watch.
1: Well, the situation would be so much better, Spike, if, in fact, in these presidential debates, there were a third voice. Because I guarantee you, assuming that Biden, his handlers allow him to debate, which I think is really problematic. But, but I guarantee you, if you have the Trumps and the Bidens in these in these debates, so-called, they will not discuss what you just did. They will they will ignore it. They will make platitudes. But but having that third voice, just like when Nick Sarwark actually was running for for mayor of Phoenix, uh, there was a three-way debate. And when he was there, the other candidates were required to address these issues. When he wasn't there, of course, they ignored them. So, so I, I think that's critically important. By the way, before we go further, uh, when I was in, in, uh, at UCLA, I had a fraternity. And our fraternity advisor was a guy named Spike Tatton. And he got his nickname because he used to play a lot of volleyball. And I guess he was good spiking. But how did you get the name Spike? Just interested.
2: Oh, my, uh, my, my version of getting Spike is nowhere near as, uh, as, as masculine as that. I, I, so just to put it in perspective, I, I named myself Spike when I was three. So just keep in mind, this, this is the mind of a toddler when we're talking about how I got my name. Uh, I actually, as a three-year-old, was taken by my parents to see the My Little Pony movie, and there's a, there's a, a character on there, a purple dragon named Spike, who saves huh. the day at the end of the movie, and I fell in love with the character and said my name was Spike, and my parents let me call myself Spike because they figured it was a phase, and I'm now 38 years old. And uh, it's pretty sure that at this point, I'm. It's going to be sticking. So uh, it's nowhere near as cool of a of a story. But uh, but yeah, I, I was I was a kid, and uh, you know, I was actually a toddler, uh, and named myself Spike, and it, and uh, it just kind of stuck. And uh, uh, it served it served me well because people remember me because of my name.
1: I, I disagree with you entirely. You are the person that's going to save the day, and you're going to earn that title of oh. in this coming election. So
2: that's that's the deal. That's that's fake. I like that. I like that. So this is my character arc. I, I named myself after a, a you know, a, a plot device character who saves the day. And then now I get to fulfill that role with uh, with Joe. I like that. I'm going I'm to say that from now on. Yeah. <laughs> you betcha. You betcha. It's you mandated. heard it here yeah. second. So,
1: <laughs> you know, I I have found I put a label on each of my podcast episodes. And I'm not sure yet what I will, but probably saves the day will be one of them on this. But when I include the word libertarian in just the heading, the listenership goes up. People are interested in the word libertarian, interested in what we do. And I can also say, and I've mentioned this a lot on All Rise Spike, but maybe you haven't heard it, that I have written a musical called Convention, The Birth of America. And it's about the Constitution Convention, 1787, which was just a, a brilliant brilliant job. But but I found that all 55 delegates who were there, they bickered, they debated, they thought about lots of things. The thing each one of them believed was the most important function of government, was protecting our liberties from the encroachment of government, and that's in liberty, libertarian. And I am convinced that our founders would take up arms against what we're doing now. We don't seem to care about our liberties. We are the ones that do, not for some form of philosophical reason, but it works. It's who we are. It's in our bloodstream. So uh, uh, carry that mantle forward, saving the day. Uh, And uh, about individual liberty, uh, I said at the opening that if you get into a victimization mode... Uh, oh poor me. You know your whole attitude changes you're going to be reliant on the government and as Henry Ford said, not my favorite person in the world. I think he was anti-semitic, but he said anyone that feels they can thrive by relying on the government should talk to the American Indian. I mean look what it's done for them for 180 years. So so these are the things that we stand for and you are carrying that ball. Uh liberty counts, does it not?
2: It absolutely counts and and I whether I've done talk I've done talks uh with Americans of of every walk of life. I've gone to college campuses, both in person and online. I've spoken to people at gun rights rallies. I've spoken to lockdown protesters. I've spoken to Black Lives Matter protesters and Black Panthers. Uh, I've done uh, door knocking tours and housing projects. And what I have seen from Americans from all walks of life is a growing frustration, not with the fact that government isn't giving them more things, but the fact that government has set up a series of barriers and burdens and impediments that make it increasingly difficult for them to actually be able to thrive. Whether they're talking about the lockdowns that destroyed their livelihoods and their careers and their small businesses, whether they're talking about the um, whether they're talking about police brutality, which makes them scared to live in their in their own communities, whether they're talking about uh, in the housing projects, the biggest thing they talked about. I went there to talk about criminal justice and uh, the war on drugs. They wanted to talk about occupational licensing, the fact that almost every single one of them had a side hustle where they were trying to get ahead in life, but they couldn't really grow the business too big because they couldn't afford the cost of all the licensing and fees, so they were having to do it under the under the, under the table, and so they had to keep the business just small enough so that the police wouldn't come and and you know take all of their all of their stuff with civil asset forfeiture for illegally operating a business. And this was stuff like you know, mowing lawns, cutting hair, uh, food service, catering trimming trees, uh, trimming trees, all that kind of stuff. And you know, here you have government. It, these are people in housing projects that, I had people volunteer to me. I never brought up welfare, and they'd say, "I don't want to live on welfare. I want to grow my business, but I can't. And I don't have, you know, twenty-five thousand dollars to go to school for, for, for two years to learn to do something I already know how to do. And uh, and and I don't have the credit to get a student loan, and I don't have the you know the the thousands of dollars for licensing and everything else. So I just kind of do it under the table. So here are people that, if left to their own devices, would grow themselves and their their loved ones in their communities out of generational poverty, and instead they are being kept intentionally in that poverty so that they can be kept reliant. Harry Brown said it best, government shows up, beats you up, takes your stuff, gives you some of it back, and says, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have some of that stuff back. Well, no. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have had half of it taken from me and be all beaten up by you. I know I just butchered his quote, but the the bottom line is that if government simply got out of the way, most of these people wouldn't need help in the first place. They're not. They're not there because they're lazy. They're not there because they're uniquely unable to thrive. They're there because they're in a situation where, because of the barriers and burdens put in place, they're not able to be able to thrive. And those barriers are getting so bad now that it's not just the poor being affected by it. We now see with the student loan crisis that it's now middle class families that are increasingly unable to thrive in this economy that the republicrats have created so no it's absolutely about individual liberty when we have a system whereby the people that are in charge can take from anyone whenever they see fit that is going to lead to harmful and abusive and inequitable outcomes because if i can take from you and everyone listening whenever i see fit i'm not going to be a good steward of what i have because i can take more from you whenever i want and you aren't going to be a good steward of what you have because you know i can come and take it from you whenever I want. And the system that the Republicans have set up is a system whereby they presume the authority to take from us whenever they see fit. We should not be surprised that the outcomes from that are so harmful and abusive and inequitable.
1: Truly so. Thomas Jefferson said after the passage of the Constitution that we're going to need to have a bloody revolution every generation to keep right. the vested interests at bay. Fortunately, the Constitution makes the revolution not have to be bloody. But Spike, how long has it been since we've had a political revolution in our country? Probably the 18 late 1850s when the Republicans took over from the Whigs. And look at the vested interests today. You know the various public employees unions. The Republicans are the vested interests. The Democrats are the vested interests. Exactly. And we need to shake that up. Have uh, by the way. When I talk with young attorneys, I tell them the most important part of public speaking is showing your audience you believe what you're saying. Spike, you have convinced me that you believe what you're saying. You've convinced our audience as well, and well done. You're an articulate young man. You see things from a different perspective. We all do. I'm a lot older than you are. But let me ask you, and have our listeners answer this question. Have you ever seen a time in which the government got involved in the marketplace, in which the the prices did not go way up and the quality of the goods and services go way down. We've seen that in healthcare. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. We're certainly mm-hmm. seeing that with regard to education. We're seeing that with regard to these licensing. Have you ever – could you dream up a circumstance in which the government gets involved in the marketplace in which the quality goes up and the prices go down? Because I cannot.
2: I, I, I certainly couldn't, and it's not because of the the politicians. You know, we're often told by Republicans and Democrats uh, that well, we just need the right people in charge. It's not the people; it's the system itself. When you have a system whereby there is a massive uh, gap between those who are making the decisions and those who are having to pay for it, you are going to have. Uh, harmful outcomes as a result of that because that's not naturally how people interact with each other. So there are many different layers as to why government systems don't work. There's the coercion aspect where people are being forced into things that they wouldn't have otherwise chosen. There's the inefficiency aspect where you have these massive bureaucracies that have to be created to try to to try to, uh, just procure the different things that are needed. Uh, you have the price disruptions that are happening because there's no price equilibrium. We see that with healthcare and education, higher education especially. Uh, if a college... Uh, could it charges X amount for tuition, and that's enough uh, for them to make money and to get enough students uh, to come there. And if they now charge, you know, X plus two for their tuition, and that increases the price enough where enough students don't come, you know, enough students don't show up because they can't afford it. Uh, then the college has to bring the pricing back down to X or X1 or X plus one or whatever in order to be able to have enough students in there for them to be able to turn a profit or to, to make enough money to continue going. Well, when the government steps in and says you can charge whatever you want and we'll underwrite it, all the prices are going to naturally go up, and if now anyone can just show up and get a grant or get a loan and be able to go to school, now there's going to be restrictions to access because it either has to be rationed or the costs have to skyrocket through the roof. And yes. so that's what's happened in in schooling. It's what's happened in educate uh, yes. in uh, in healthcare. It's what happened in anything. You get government involved, and by its very nature of how government is set up as an organization, because let's be clear, government is a monopoly. If we are, if there are basically three ways that you can get any service or good that you need, number one, someone can just give it to you out of the goodness of their heart. Number two, you can get it from competing providers who have a vested interest in providing you the best best value because they want to be the ones to provide it to you instead of their competitor. And the third way you could get it is from a monopoly who knows that you can either take it or leave it because there is no other competitor. Government is not just a monopoly. There are a monopoly that can't that can tell you that you don't have a choice to opt out. How on earth would we expect the outcomes from such an arrangement to be anything other than bad and inefficient and costly and bloated and and you know poor access and everything else? Of course, it would lead to that. It is a monopoly that doesn't let you choose whether you can even do business with them or not.
1: That's right. You know, we uh, first of all, Milton Friedman is is a hero of mine and I assume of yours. And he said, look, why should. Why should we have economic decisions being made by people who pay no price for bad decisions? And if exactly. you're in government, you, don't, you make a bad economic decision, you intrude. But you don't, you don't pay that price, so we have bad decisions. And it's yep. exemplified. You notice this, this uh, rocket we had by SpaceX that took the astronauts up to the space uh, station. Mm-hmm. And they did that successfully, by the way, for one-tenth of the cost that NASA did. And they were talking with one of NASA's ex-engineers about that. And he said, well, I came out to NASA with this great idea of bringing back the booster rockets and having them be retrievable. And and NASA said, well, what do we want to do that for? And, and our suppliers, they're on a cost-plus basis. So if we reduce the cost, that means that we reduce our, our, uh,
2: exactly. uh, our
1: profit. So we had exactly. every incentive to have the prices go up, the costs go up. But in the private market, the incentives are reversed. So again, that's you, you speak it well, and there are all kinds of examples about that. And, and uh, we just need to bring competition. I assume that you have a cell phone. I assume everybody listening has a cell phone. Was that cell phone created by government? No. Had it been, it would be three times the size, one quarter of the... The capability and probably costs 10 times as much. It's the exactly. private sector, the competition that works and bring competition back to the healthcare agency, bring competition back to the schools. We will get excellence. And that's exactly where our libertarians will take us. And people are beginning to understand that, Spike, your boots on the ground, but, but people are beginning to, to pick that up, are they
2: not? Yes, I'm seeing it more and more uh, every time that I go out, and not just on, on in person, but on social media as well. People are getting, uh, especially now that, so it used to be that ideas like liberty and, uh, and freedom and individual uh, you know, determination were politicized because the Republicans used those talking points, even though they never actually followed through on them, they used those talking points. But now, thankfully, that Donald Trump has completely abandoned any concept of limited government or personal responsibility or anything else and has become a full-bore uh, you know, right-wing populist, now... Now, increasingly, Americans are able to talk about these ideas without it being a politicized thing. Oh, well, you just sound like a Republican. Well, no, I actually sound like a libertarian. But the beauty of it is that now an increasing number of Americans can talk about things like the fact that government is making things more difficult, the fact that government is not a good way to do things, the fact that government leads to harmful outcomes, the fact that every one of their major complaints is coming from some kind of uh, abuse or excess of the state or government. Um, and, no, it is, we, we're seeing it every day. And, and it is becoming increasingly, our challenge is no longer convincing people that our ideas are the best ones. Our idea is getting around the crony corporate media and the government blockaders in in the ballot access to be able to get our ideas in front of people. But once we get our ideas in front of people, we win.
1: Yes. Hear, hear. In fact, uh, hear ye, hear ye is one of my favorite sayings. But, uh, but there we go. Well, we're going to take a break and uh, kind of rejuvenate here because there's a lot going on and we're going to continue this. But Spike... Cohen our libertarian candidate for vice president when we come back from our little break uh, we're going to discuss had you been vice president when this COVID-19 virus situation came in what would you and Joe Jorgensen President Joe Jorgensen President Dr. Joe Jorgensen have done differently and and we're going to come back and talk about that after these messages so please stay tuned come back with us
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice
1: America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of
0: individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian
1: Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we
0: can move mountains.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are
0: listening to All Rise, The Libertarian Way, with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise.
1: Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray, along with my esteemed guest, uh, Jeremy Spike Cohen. Again, I'm proud to say, uh, is the libertarian candidate for vice president, uh, along with Dr. Joe Jorgensen, our candidate for president, it would make a huge difference. And I can tell you, I've written about this recently, but wouldn't it be nice to vote in favor of, vote for someone instead of against someone? There's so many people that are going to vote against Trump, so they vote for Biden or against Biden and they vote for Trump. But uh, I tell you, it's just a satisfying thing to vote in favor of good people, people that speak to you, speak for you. And I can tell you that President Trump has done some things I agree with, but he does not speak for me. He never has. He just is an embarrassment with regard to the things that he is saying and many of the things that he is doing. And I think that, well, I'm not going to get into Joe Biden but, uh, or Kamala Harris either. The, the voters will find out enough on that. But, but before we get into that, Spike, you want to hear about the The epitome of of silliness, I have a friend who actually purchases apartment buildings, and he was telling me that he has instructed his agents when they're showing the various apartments for possible lease, he says, do not use the term master bedroom. Why? Because it implies master and slave. So we call it the larger bedroom. And you can't use the term walk-in closet today. Well, why would that be? Oh, because some people are in wheelchairs, so they can't walk. And I don't want to offend anybody. And then I saw recently, hey, you know this store, the Cracker Barrel. Maybe they're going to have to change their name in today's times. I mean, we're really, really out there in in these these things. But but uh, I didn't get the obligatory chuckle from my guests. But but one way or the other, we'll we'll no, I I
2: I did. Yeah, you must not have heard the chuckle. I did, I did chuckle i will say i've heard the master suite thing and and i i've heard more and more that they call it on suite which most <laughs> buyers have no idea what that means uh but they uh but I, I i had not heard the walk-in closet one uh if they try to change the name of cracker barrel the southeast will rebel because uh, that is that is a staple restaurant and in, 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 in i live in south carolina that would that would definitely lead to some issues <laughs> well okay and as advertised uh
1: the COVID-19 situation, it's on everyone's mind. It's been controlling our lives, uh, and we will, we will never be the same. I, I do mediations, private mediations, settlements for people, and uh, I've done them on Zoom. They're really quite successful. I, I've settled eight out of nine cases, and I can tell you, Spike, that I probably never again in my professional life will see an insurance adjuster from Omaha in person. They'll always be there by Zoom. So that'll, that'll change a bit, and certainly the same thing with regard to the National Convention, Libertarian Convention over Memorial Day weekend, but, but please, if you had been in office when this was coming about, uh, what would you have done differently? Uh, I happen to believe that the government flat out failed us because one obligation of government is to be prepared for emergencies. And you don't know what or when or where. It could be you know, an earthquake or a, or a forest fire like we're certainly having in California or a COVID yep. virus, but, but have a plan in effect. And they did not. But, but what, would, what would the Jorgensen-Cohen team have done differently as this COVID virus
2: descended upon us? Well, we saw it's actually worse than the government didn't have a plan. The government actively stopped medical professionals from doing their job and testing patients and treating patients who had COVID-19. So they were actually not just uh, derelict in their duty, they were actually malfeasant and malicious in their duty. So let's be clear, for the first six to eight weeks that the COVID-19 virus was already here, the federal government actively ban- effectively banned medical professionals from testing COVID patients. And that sounds like some kind of conspiracy theory. And yet there's all, all sorts of articles about it. This is not a disputed thing. Uh, it is very well known that the uh, CDC was not allowing uh, the hospitals and the, and the medical teams to be able to do it. Now, the, the government doesn't treat anyone. The government doesn't test anyone. The government doesn't actually do any of these things. That's what doctors and nurses and other medical professionals did. In this case, what the government did was told them that they couldn't. You had companies. That were making COVID nineteen test kits and having to sell all of them overseas and not use them here because they weren't allowed yet. They didn't get approval yet. And meanwhile, the CDC was make trying spent nearly two months, like a month and a half, trying to make their own test kits before they finally just gave up and said that they weren't going to work and started letting these private companies sell them here. The test kits that they were already making here and selling overseas finally start selling them here. And now, thankfully, we had a handful of doctors like. Dr. Helen Chu in the University of uh, Washington in Seattle Medical Center there, uh, who basically illegally tested COVID patients. Do- patients were coming in and saying, I don't, uh, patients were coming in around the country and saying, Doc, I don't feel too good. I just got back from Wuhan, China, or Hubei Province, China, and I'm hearing about this coronavirus thing, and I'm worried that I might have it. Those doctors had to say, mm, sorry, we haven't been given anything by the CDC yet. We're not able to do it. And thankfully, Dr. Helen Chu and some other doctors around the country illegally tested their patients. They got results back that some of them were positive. They went to the Centers for Disease Control and tried to tell them that you know, it's already here. We need to do something. The CDC's initial response to that was to tell those doctors, to destroy those test results and tell no one that, that they had the virus, to say nothing and not even to tell the patients that they had it and to send them on their way. This highly virulent pathogen that left to its own devices doubles in its spread every 12 to 24 hours. That's what happened, and that is why now we're facing the worst pandemic, uh, the worst outcome of the pandemic of, of any developed country, is because for the for the, for the time that it could have potentially been contained or at least slowed down, The federal government was actively stopping the people on the on the front lines from being able to do their jobs. That's before we get in all the red tape uh, for things like certificate of need laws and and, and all the other barriers and burdens that they put in place that make it so hard for medical professionals to build hospitals and to get protective equipment and to 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 make. For, uh, for pharmaceutical companies to to make pharmaceuticals in, in, in competition and everything else that they do to drive up costs in, in healthcare and to drive down access in healthcare, they were actually saying that they couldn't test for it. And I mean, that's the most we won't know how many tens or hundreds of thousands of lives could have been saved uh, by containing this virus back in the first fourth formative weeks that it was, that the, the virus was here. Um, and then as a result of that, we've seen the lockdowns that have happened and the economic depression that's been created as a result, entire communities being destroyed by being told that they're non-essential and being told that they can't, you know, that, they, that they're going to get 1200 bucks and that's about it. And, and you know, their, their kids will get 500 bucks and they may get an extra 600 bucks to their unemployment while they also, well the, the same government turns around and gives trillions of dollars in bailouts to the favored cronies who bought and paid for them to be in office and then sticks the rest of us with the bill for that with interest. We wouldn't have done any of those things. What we would have done is gotten all of those ridiculous regulations and barriers and burdens out of the way. So that when the first patients were coming here with COVID, the medical professionals could have immediately started testing and containing and treating them so that a so that this virus wouldn't have spread nearly the way that it did. We wouldn't have politicized things like masks. We wouldn't have politicized things like social distancing. We would have allowed the medical professionals to tell us what is working and what isn't working, and then allow that information to be disseminated to the public so that we can choose to make the best choices for ourselves.
1: That's exactly right. You know, you've said again so much there, Spike, and I believe that the Libertarian Party is the only political party in our country today that does not want to profit by being involved in government. They just want to level the playing field, reduce the size, the intrusion, the cost of government, and and allow people to to make their own choices. And we don't profit by that action. We don't have cronies. We don't pay people these monies. And that sets us apart. And that's why I think that the Republican, you call them Republicans, good for you, uh, are scared of us as well. They as well they should be. So often in a in a campaign, and you'll find this out. You, I'm sure you have already. Uh, you have limited time. You may have three minutes to impress the voters with your issues. So so, okay, Mr. Cohen, you have three minutes here on my radio show here in Des Moines or wherever we happen to be. Uh, what are Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your issues. Why should we vote for Jorgensen
2: Cohen? So three minutes to talk about the three major issues. And as you and I know, it's hard to do that because this is all kind of holistic stuff where everything feeds into each other. But I would say the three top issues that Joe Jorgensen uh, has wanted to promote has been ending the wars and bringing the troops home and allowing the healing to begin as a result of that uh, getting government out of health care so that costs can go down and access to truly affordable care can rise and uh, and and changing uh, the crony system for so-called environmental protection uh, and also getting government subsidies out of uh, out of big fossil fuels so that new innovative technologies can rise. So the, the, the I guess the, the overarching theme there is that we have seen what has happened when cronies and craven, pandering politicians have been allowed to set the economy and create a command economy. It has led to terrible outcomes. Uh, you know, When government has been put in charge of the environment, the environment has gotten worse. When government has been put in charge of health care, has gotten worse. When government has been given a blank check and carte blanche to declare war, or actually not even declare war, but to engage in war anywhere around the world under the flimsiest of pretexts, that's exactly what they do, uh, and we will end all of that. I am sick of watching uh, millions of Americans signing up to protect and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, and then being sent overseas to fight on behalf of well healed military contractors and foreign dictators, and then they're brought, they are brought. They come home and are subjected to the worst form of health care in this country, the Veterans Administration, uh, we will end all of that. We will end the wars. We will bring the troops home. We will get government out of health care and allow the cost to go down, and we will get the government out of picking winners and losers in energy and the environment so that our environment can do better and we can have better and more, uh, and more innovative and, and, and more environmentally friendly forms of energy.
1: I say with conviction, Spike, and I know you will join me, that the Libertarian Party is the only one that represents the soldiers. Those yes. those young men and women in uniform that, yes, if you tell them to go into battle at such and such a place, what's their response? They salute and say, yes, sir, and off they go. They have an absolute right to believe and understand that they're doing this for the, to protect our country, our national interests, our national security. And then when they come home, uh, about a quarter of them that have been to Afghanistan or Iraq have have brain damage, and and it is not treated well. Uh, we have so many advances now in in medical science, but the VA, I, I think they do their best. They're not well organized, not well funded. They're just another bureaucracy. But but we are the only ones that represent the military and their families because we're not going to send them into battle uh, willy nilly like we have been. You you know that we've been in Afghanistan since, what, 2003? Okay, something like 17 years. Scott, does anyone know, Spike, what the goal is today in Afghanistan? And we're starting to bring these troops home, fortunately, but what's the goal been? Have we reached it yet? I don't even know. I don't think anyone could articulate what a goal would be other than nation building in this tribal area of Afghanistan. So vote for Jorgensen and Cohen, and we'll get some sanity back. We represent the military. I assume I've convinced you, Spike? (laughs)
2: <laughs> have you convinced me that that we need to end the war in Afghanistan? I came in a little, you know. Now, now that I've heard it from you, I, I absolutely think we need to we need to do that. And we need to vote for Joe Jorgensen. So I, I appreciate you, you you telling me that. No, I listen. We we, we found out in uh, Judge, Judge Gray. I have spoken with hundreds. I don't know how many hundreds of veterans. Uh, and I would say, I mean, my, my, the, the groups that come out to see me at this bus tour and have spoken with me on social media, we are very, very popular with active duty and veterans. And, of course, active duty personnel have to be very careful in what they say publicly because they're still active, active duty. Um, but I hear it over and over and over again from especially the youngest veterans and especially, you know, and especially active duty. We signed up to Protect America we don't feel like that's what we're doing. And we also often have help. You mentioned traumatic brain injury. So many of the troops come home with traumatic brain injury and PTSD. If they're fortunate enough not to come home in a flag-draped coffin, they come home with a lot of different issues, even if it's just the psychological trauma of what they went through over there. Not to mention the immeasurable harm to the people that's happening in the countries where all this bombing and invading and destabilization is happening. I'm just focusing on the troops right now. And they come home. And they are put through not just single-payer health care. They're put through nationalized health care. And for anyone who wants to talk about whether or not the government should be in charge of disseminating and providing health care, I would encourage you to talk to a veteran about the kind of care that they're getting. And then we can have a conversation about if the uh, U.S. government is unable to effectively provide health care to a a few million people who, who fought for their country then I would submit that they're not going to be able to do it for 330 plus million people. And we have actually seen that it would actually cost less to simply get, to scrap the VA entirely and simply give the money directly to the veterans to go and get the health care that they need to go and get the insurance that they need. Uh, which would allow them to get private insurance, which would lead to far better uh, health outcomes than they would get from the VA, which is the worst rated of, of any system. Uh, and then also it would save the taxpayers, including veterans who are taxpayers, billions of dollars a year to simply do that. And when I have talked to veterans and active duty across the country and told them about our plan, I have met zero people who have said that they are against that. Every single person, including a few that actually work in the Veterans Administration, all supported our plan, because they are the ones who are experiencing it on the ground every single day, and they recognize how harmful it is. And that just feeds into the libertarian idea. When you put government in charge of something, everyone involved gets screwed except the cronies.
1: You know, I think that the biggest breach of contract I can think of is between the federal government and our returning troops with regard to their health care. Uh, the fortunate ones, and this is in quotes, you know, if you lose a leg, that's visible and you're going to get pretty good care. But if it's a Mm. brain injury where it's not visible, you're shunted off. Uh, The suicide rate of, of veterans is abysmally high. It goes on and on. It is a breach of contract that we all as citizens and good people of our country should be horrified to learn about this. So listen to Jorgensen and Cohen. They have the right plan there. That's what we simply need to do. I also deeply believe... Spike that that one of the most important issues in a country it's it's impossible to say what are the most three important because the deficit. I mean all of these things, but but we have so many schools that are failing our children all around the country. Usually mm-hmm. they're in the lower economic areas. It has nothing yes. to do with racism. It's it's economics. But regretfully, a lot of African Americans or Hispanics are are in the lower economic areas, and that's where the poor teachers get shunted off to, and so they are failing our students. And all of the studies show that if you have quality schools, it doesn't matter the the, the economics that you're in, all of the students will thrive equally. So you get, econ- you get excellence in schools. That's how you can actually meet your, your uh, potential. Otherwise, you probably never will. How do you do that? You empower the parents, in my opinion, to choose where their government money is going to be spent for the education of their children. Similar to the GI Bill, by the way, where the GI gets to choose where the government money will be spent. Could be a religious school or a military school, whatever. Uh, and they get to choose there. So, so, Tell me your views with regard to our schools. We must make a choice. What is the function? What is the purpose of the educational system? Number one, to educate our children, as I say, what a concept, or number two, protect (laughs) below-average teachers, and guess what we're doing today? So what is the Jorgensen-Cohen team going to do with regard to schooling in the United States of America when you're elected?
2: Well, as you mentioned, what our school system, the way that our system is currently set up is the system is set up primarily to protect poorly uh, to protect and 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 I guess continue to support poorly functioning schools, uh, and to also segregate poor people into poor schools based on their on their you know their zip code uh, or what school district that they reside in, and that has led to terrible outcomes in schooling. Where often uh, and, and there's a, there's actually a common. Uh, uh, misconception that uh, there's a huge gap in terms of funding. There is a gap in terms of funding between some of the the better performing schools and the, the worst performing schools, but it's actually not as bad as one would think it is. The biggest problem is, as you said, the poor performing teachers and the poor performing administrators are put in the poor performing schools, and then it gets even worse than that. The federal government, when they got, uh, what, in the 1970s, when they created the Department of Education, uh, they said that they were creating this Department of Education in order to uh, combat what they called a a, a crisis high, uh, or crisis low literacy rate and a crisis high student to teacher ratio. And in the last uh, nearly 50 years, they've spent uh, well over a trillion dollars, almost two trillion dollars. And in that time, the literacy rate has gone down. And the student-to-teacher ratio has gone up. So they have, And what has also exponentially gone up is the administrator-to-teacher ratio. Because yet again, government gets involved, creates red tape, drives up the cost of compliance, drives up bloated spending, and leads to harmful outcomes for the people who are trying to get those services, in this case, education. And so uh, our belief is that the government probably is that the federal government should go back to... The fact that, according to the Tenth Amendment, if the Constitution doesn't specifically mention an enumerated power uh, to government, that it should be left to the states or to the people. Federal involvement in education has made uh, the uh, dis, uh, disproportionate outcomes between the different school districts worse, and it's made them worse across the board um, and so when I have spoken to people including Black Lives Matter protesters, speaking to people at housing projects, speaking to really people of everyone because I mean e- education is something that affects everyone. whenever I speak to any parents and I tell them that we're going to take the power and the money, and the and the decision making ability and the freedom out of the hands of the politicians and the bureaucrats and the cronies and put it back in their hands in their communities and in their school districts so that the decision making ability and the power and the money is back in their hands where it always belongs and the decisions can now be made by the parents and by the educators for the betterment of their children, uh, I have yet to meet many people who have said that they think that that's a bad idea. And I, I know there are certain plans that might be decent Transitional steps towards that, such as school choice, which basically ties the amount of money that's funded per student to the child to the child themselves, and then allows the uh, the parent to decide which schools that they go to. Uh, a long term concern about a program like that is, as we talked about before, you know, I, I can't think. You asked me if I could think of a of a situation where the government gets involved in something and it leads to anything other than bad outcomes. Long term voucherization of health care or education leads to a new type of cronyism where the government is now the main uh, purchaser of a product, in this case charter schooling or, or healthcare, and that kind of creates a new federal money trough for the cronies to line up to and demand more and more money. We saw it with the the so called savings that we would get with private prisons. They created these for profit prison systems that would save them money, but then you now have a lobby demanding new and new more and more laws so that they can fill up their prisons even more. Uh, in the case of of with education, uh, I think that the best long term goal, even if we have transitional steps in some states like school choice and things like that. I think that the long-term goal is to defederalize education and to get the, gov- get the federal government and their failed plans out of education, get No Child Left Behind out of education which has been an absolute unmitigated disaster for children and parents uh, and put the power back in the hands at the local level with students and teachers and so that they can make the best decisions for their students.
1: Ladies and gentlemen you're hearing someone that believes in you believes that you can make a decision for your life, the education of your children, your health care, make a better decision than the government can for you. And and I, I fully agree. Let me ask you this question, Spike. What is the largest so-called company in the world? Do you have any idea? What is the largest so-called company in the world? And the answer is the United States federal government. It's just unbelievably large and it 's really, really good at one thing i, I it 's superb at one thing, and that is increasing the size, the cost, and the power of big government and We have seen that S- spike mentioned the the uh, educational depart- the Department of Education started by mm-hmm. the Jimmy Carter administration back in the early 1970s and look education has demonstrably gotten only worse from there no get the federal government out of education completely I if I could would probably get the states out of it as well and allow it to be local let the school boards and the PTAs and the and the teachers and the, and the parents go and work on this but it just continues to get larger and it, it underscores what Ronald Reagan said if you want to the closest thing to everlasting life is a government program and it's just true. you can't get rid of them so that's, that's Kind of where we are. You mentioned I was going to go into the healthcare. You've pretty well gone through that uh, spike through in this, but but I can tell you that when I was growing up, I was in the first grade. I had nephritis. It was a kidney infection. I'm told mm. the penicillin, which was just developed, saved my life. And, you know, I had blood in the urine and the rest of that. The reason I'm bringing this up is I had a medical doctor, Dr. Mariette, by the way, who would make house calls. He came to our house and it gave me my penicillin shots. You don't see that anymore. But the government wasn't involved back then. He was in the service business. Let's bring the Dr. Mariettes back to the service business. Let them talk with me. I can work things out. And now, by the way spike if i go to a doctor and say doc i've got a knee problem and what's the doctor going to say well jim you want an mri what goes through my mind well let's see i've got anthem blue cross insurance i've also got medicare Uh, it'll probably Mm -hmm. cost me twenty dollars in a co sure why not but if i'm paying it myself doctor do you want it to me do you want to An MRI? What is my response going to be? Well, I don't know, doc. What's it going to show me and how much is it going to cost? If you ask that question today, the doctors don't even know because cost is not a factor in the equation. And guess what? Costs go up. Is that what we've seen in our healthcare system? And is that what you're going to undo when you are elected vice
2: president? That's absolutely what's going to happen with the Jorgensen administration. If Dr. Myriad, I think that's what you you said their name was, if Dr. Myriad came to your house now in order to be able to comply with the laws, they'd have to bring 20 administrators with them because of all of the various red tape and bureaucracy. That's why house doctors aren't a thing anymore. And the reason that the costs are so expensive is because government injected itself into a market that did not need it, and they drove up costs to uh, uh, justify their continued intrusion with the idea that they would eventually just take over the entire thing because the best way you can control a population is to be able to tell them whether they can get treatment for sickness or not and mm-hmm. so, the best thing that jo- Joe Jorgensen is going to do, one of the best things, is to simply get government out of healthcare, get the cost of the overruns that happen as a result of all that red tape out of healthcare, end these, these ridiculous patent protections for drugs that have been around for a century or more, uh, end the, the, the ban on importation of cheaper drugs, uh, uh, get uh, end the certificate of need laws, end the CDC's meddling with, with uh, medical professionals telling them whether or not they can treat people, do all of these things that America's going to leave healthier and happier lives and be able to actually afford their health care.
1: Well, thank you, Spike. I mean, you're just, you're right on the money there <laughs> and literally and figuratively, but we are thank running you. out of time. If people want more information, where can they go to get this more information on Jorgensen Cohen campaign? Uh, give us some websites, give us uh, where people can go to donate, to, to assist, to pass out the
2: word because you're right on the money. Absolutely, and thank you for having me on, Judge Gray. I greatly appreciate it. And folks, if you liked what you heard, I invite you to go to Joe20, that's jo20.com. We have a volunteer form that you can fill out. We'd love to have you for, join our – Joe and I are building a grassroots army of human liberty, fighting for a world set free in our time. And I believe our time is now, so I invite you to sign up for our volunteer form there. And if you're able to make a contribution, we would greatly appreciate it. Unlike the Republicrats, we don't take money from you in taxes to pay for our campaign. We believe that we should earn your vote and your money, and if we've earned your support and your money, I would greatly appreciate any donation you can make. You can do it right there at Joe20.com, and Judge Gray, I appreciate it again. Spike Cohen,
1: go with go with God, uh, and you thank are, in fact, uh, a message of liberty, and you are living up to the Saves the Day moniker, so thank you for being with us. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Vote for someone. Vote for Joe Jorgensen. Vote for Spike Cohen. They they are serious. The time is now. Uh, Support the libertarian cause, and we will actually bring liberty back to our country. So there again, you have it. That's what we talk about here on All Rise, employing these libertarian values. We literally will all rise together, which is exactly what we want, exactly where we're going. So thank you. Tune in again next week or on demand pretty much any time. Spread the word that here we talk about issues, and not only ain't it awful, we actually have solutions and resolutions to go along with it. So I leave you until next time, as I always do, by saying life is good. Why do I say that? Because it certainly is. See you soon.